she, she's the one that says, get out there, do the thing, be the adventurous one. Whereas he says, I think I'll just stay in my apartment and make an omelet mm. because that is his coping mechanism. In fact, in his fridge, wait, is he the one who has the peppers that yeah, are lined yeah. up by color? Yes, like, so he yes. has like green peppers, red peppers, yellow peppers lined up by color. Obviously, I don't think we need to explain that if you're listening to this show. Yeah. That is the correct way to put your peppers. It away. is. Episode 43, Only Murderers Are Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. Hey, Matt. Hey, Angela. We are going to have some fun today. Tell me what you know about the television program Only Murders in the Building. I, I think that it is the uh, the ideal uh, replacement of the third Amigo because... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, upgrading from Chevy Chase to Selena Gomez is a brilliant, brilliant idea. And this show has to be one of the most autistic centered shows ever created. So I am really, really happy that we are talking about it today. Awesome. So for those of you who have not yet seen Only Murders in the Building, um, first of all, I will say I did think the name of it for a long time was Only Murderers in the Building, which is funny that I thought that because that also does not make entirely an appearance. inaccurate yeah, yeah exactly so inside joke we are gonna try and keep this spoiler free but character rich so we're not gonna get into the plot but just to give you a kind of a quick overview this is about a manhattan apartment building with as um as matt has alluded to steve martin martin short and Surprise, Selena Gomez, just to bring a little millennial edge to the scene. Uh, they live in a fancy apartment building and they bond over their mutual love of true crime podcasts, trying to solve a crime that happens in their building. It seems like a random neighbor is killed. It may be less random than it seems. And to solve this, they start a podcast, which is basically what Matt and I are doing. Yeah, because <laughs> if it's a few things that autistic people love, it's podcasts and murder mysteries. Right? So. Exactly. Yeah. They're like, let's solve this mystery. I'm trying to solve the mystery of why autistic people are maligned in our culture. They're just trying to find a murderer in their building. So there we go. We're all doing our own amateur sleuthing in our own ways on podcasts. Um, they, These three characters and many of the people, but not just these three, are sort of social outcasts. They're kind of estranged from their families or loved ones. They are quirky. Quir quirky, uh, quirky is definitely a description. Yes. So eccentric. And there is also a lot of trauma as the yeah. seasons, as we're recording this, there are three seasons out and a fourth one coming. I don't know mm -hmm. when, someday soon, hopefully. Um, but they, as the episodes unfold, they all have kind of trauma and sad events in their past. 
um, as well at, that sort of inform their eccentricities. So I want to start by really talking about how autistic people bond, which is through our special interests. Oh, and yes, this very is much so. An incredible story of these um, these three, they become quite good friends. And I'm going to have you, Matt, read uh, Steve Martin plays Charles. And this is a quote from Charles. I'm going to have you read. Charles Hayden Savage. Mm, such a good name. <clears throat> I'm so on board with this because this is how I'm going to fill the rest of my days with hobbies and my hobby is solving murders. <laughs> right. And yeah. that for different reasons is also Selena Gomez's hobby. Um, so she sort of has a life mission to solve this particular murder and a murder that uh, kind of preceded it. Yeah. Um, she's kind of been trying to solve that murder for years. And, mm-hmm. um, and then Oliver, who is Martin Short's character, his hobby is solving murders because I think he thinks it will make a good show. Yeah. 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 Because again, he, uh, he, he and Charles are very, very much into show business and Charles likes to relive his glory days as a TV cop, a uh, TV investigator. Uh, but uh, uh, Oliver was very, very much a Broadway star almost, if not for a, a very large issue with uh, mermaids. So Yeah, that did it, not go well. That but was unfortunate. He got the poster. So they're all sort yeah. of obsessed with this same, solving the same crime. And there is no way any of them, I think let's talk about Mabel first. That's Selena oh, yeah. Gomez's character. There's no way any of them would have socialized with each other. Like none of these people should be friends with each other, nor do they know how to really be friends with anyone exactly. Yeah. If they weren't focused on this particular solving this murder, that is what allows the friendship to evolve. And one of my favorite scenes is it's actually you see it in a flashback, but is before they become friends, before the murder, before the podcast, Mabel does get in an elevator with the two of them. And she, of Mm -hmm. course, has headphones on. Of course. Which yeah. is our first potential clue that Mabel might be neurodivergent. So do you want to share some of your observations of why uh, Mabel is autistically coded and what she brings to the story? Well, okay, so the, the first big thing about all this is that her only friend is explicitly uh, noted as, uh, well, uh, almost explicitly noted as being autistic, Tim Kono. Yeah. Tim Kono from the beginning is described as having all these traditional autistic traits and she bonds really, really tightly with him. And what do we know about autistic people and other autistic people? Exactly. Yeah, we we bond with that. And this is a thing that leads into Mabel, because, again, a a lot of people are able to identify autistic traits as related to traditionally male presentation. But what is traditionally female presentation, again, with Mabel is the headphones. She avoids people. She has difficulty socializing on a neurotypical level. She spends a lot of time in her her apartment that used to be her aunt's apartment, painting and fixing up the place because she's very, very interested in art. She's interested in podcasts. She's not interested in human interaction, a neurotypical human interaction. She'll talk to people about podcasts and murders and, you know, bloody Mabel, but she, she does not really do the whole, hi, how are you? I'm Mabel sort of thing. So we'll, we'll go back to her aunt for a second. So growing up when Mabel was a kid, she would go visit her aunt in this building Tim Kono also lived in the building. Again, they were kids and he was playing, was it chess? There was some game he played every day. I think it was chess. (laughs) Yeah. I watched this show as we were doing the episode on uh, the chess is autistic. So I was like, oh, I see that. Right. Oh, that's neat. So that is a more probably um, stereotypical autistic. Like he had to play this chess game at the same time. Um, she also describes him as like uh, never lying. 
Mm -hmm. And he knows every single person in the building. This is Tim, even as a little kid, knows everyone uh, by their apartment number. Oh, yes. So you could say an apartment number and Tim can tell you. So that, we're like, oh, that's autistic. Like we recognize that. Mabel's got that sort of millennial flat affect in her speech that you might miss. Because I feel like you can, especially as a, woman use that sort of vocal fry to hide an autistic accent. Mm-hmm. But, but she yeah, does it, have kind yeah. of a monotone halting speech patterns. She does. She does. And and that's the thing that's fascinating about this, because, again, as we go through the show, we see so many of these traits. And it, it made me wonder why out of all the people in the world, because, again, you know, uh, the Steve Martin and Martin Short could really pick just about any human being on Earth to replace Chevy Chase, because who wouldn't? But why did they choose Selena Gomez? Why does she fit in with this triad like nobody else? Because, again, they also chose Tina Fey to be part of this. And Tina Fey has some notorious autistic traits, which we'll probably talk about in a bit. We'll get to after we talk about her. Why did they choose Selena Gomez? And this natural accent that she has, again, fairly flat, fairly droll, fairly, but again, very related to, let's say, I don't know. Winona Ryder in Beetlejuice mm. and uh, or or oh, oh what's her face in uh, Wednesday uh, uh, yeah uh, Jenna yeah. Ortega yeah Jenna Ortega yeah Ortega, and yeah. It, it's it's that sort of you know presentation that is very very common for autistic women who are who have just given up the masking because mm-hmm. if you're masking you're like oh hi how are you I enjoy small talk ha <laughs> ha yeah but but again this is one of those things of uh, yeah I don't really care uh, you can either be my friend or not this is how I'm going to present and again the there's there's so much and I, I can't say too much because again this is a murder mystery show so I don't want to spoil any of the murders or the mysteries so but yeah it's the way that she goes about problem solving the way that she goes about uh, looking at the details and being very very data driven to get all these pieces together to put them into a bigger picture it's it's fascinating uh, and reflective of an autistic mindset But before we get into that, because I want to talk about uh, when we get to kind of crime solving with Charles, because Charles is our, you know, crime solver with his theatrical background in it. But I want to talk about autistic burnout because there is something that happens with Mabel. So um, and there's a teeny tiny spoiler alert here, but you find this out pretty quickly. Tim and Mabel as kids have a a mutual friend who dies. It it is, it is a murder. It is a murder in the building. It's the prequel murder that I referenced earlier. This, in my opinion, and Mabel was there that night. Tim was there that night, obviously. This, in my opinion, sets off for Mabel a period, this is obviously trauma, but a period of autistic burnout because once this murder happens and then there's a court case, she seems to nap. Like she, yeah. everyone's telling her you should go back to college, you should get a job. She clearly has not quite moved on. She's pretty yeah. stuck in that. Her, her executive functioning just bottoms out, which is why mm-hmm. she's living rent-free in her aunt's apartment because she just can't do anything else. Right. And I think that's pretty, that's a pretty common experience. I mean, not the part about having a friend die, hopefully, um, but having trauma seems to be a big part of the autistic experience and then losing some of those executive functions. So it seems like when she was younger, she was in a different place. And I guess this is a good time, Matt, to talk about why we don't love functioning labels. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing, because the, the quote unquote low functioning denies uh, uh, the the ability to respect someone's autonomy and the, the label high functioning, uh, you know, restricts someone's ability to deserve help because we we. I have a group and somebody went on a rant about how, you know, high functioning people have it easy and all this other nonsense ableist 
bullcrap. But we, that's the thing about it because when we, 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 we crash and we burn and we still have this image that we try to maintain, Mm. but it's difficult to ask for help when we really, really need it. And Mm -hmm. we, it, it, people don't always notice the suffering. People don't always notice this kind of stuff, which is why there's an unfortunately high rate of suicide. Right. When I, when I was in my worst of my burnout and super suicidal people that was very trendy, maybe it still is, um, the check on your strong friend. Yeah. So people do the check on your strong friend with me. They'll be like, Hey, I'm worried about you. Are you okay? And I would be like, I am not okay. I don't know how to get help. And I am calling the suicide hotline daily. And they're like, you got this though. Yeah. You always pull out. Yeah. You're, you're so strong. Yeah. Because, because again, you know, when, when they, when they deny the humanity of, let's say someone who's non-speaking and they say, Oh, you poor little inhuman person, we will help you out and do the things. But if you're able to, you know, at some point, hold a job at some point, able to make eye contact or at some point able to, you know, socialize or that kind of stuff, people don't take it seriously. Right. Very, very difficult to get help. So like you might from a DSM criteria, look at Tim as maybe level two because he's sort of non-speaking chess, whatever. And then Mabel is level one when they're kids and then something happens and actually Tim's executive functioning, he goes on to work in, what is it, jewelry dealing and invest it. Like he goes, his executive functioning is actually pretty good and hers goes down, which is why the levels getting a diagnosis on a Tuesday on, you know, 2013 means nothing because it is not, it's not a fixed point. Yeah. There's no level one, level two. That doesn't make any sense because life keeps happening. We're not statues that you could just be like, well, she's level one, he's level two, he's level three. Lots of things happen. Yeah. Neurodiversity Unbroken, I believe, said it best with uh, calling autism a dynamic disability mm. because our functioning changes from day to day based on our introception, our extraception, how much stress we're under, what all our bodies are going through. Because when I'm really, really stressed out, again, yesterday something happened and I was very stressed out. So I had to sleep for like 14 hours because, you know, on good days, I'm able to do a podcast and do evaluations and do therapy and do all these neat things. On bad days, I crash and burn for an extended period because that's how my brain works. Right. And and, and, also, neat, oh, sorry, go and on. also you say like had to sleep for 14 hours. I think neurotypical people think that's like a choice. It's not. Yeah. It's like whacked no. on the head by a two by four. No. You will sleep for 14 hours. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Because again, we we are slaves to our meat bodies. And when our meat body says, ah, oh, yes, your battery is drained. We're not doing anything. We just cannot wake up. And again, th- th- there's a lot of... Uh, nonsense around laziness because we live in a very puritanical sort of, you know, it is your choice to do good work and is your choice to not. And if you are not doing all the work that you can possibly do, then that is somehow a moral deficit nonsense. Love a little prosperity gospel there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. With, with, yeah. See, uh, was it productivity is autistic? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. It's, it's nonsense about that. And that's one thing that I like about this show because again, all three of the main characters have been through some major trauma that has caused them to become incredibly reclusive and avoid the world. And this is what their bodies are, you know, telling them that they have to get away from this kind of stuff. Because when we are autistic and we are traumatized, because again, allistic trauma, fun fact, did you know that if you're a neurotypical and you are traumatized, you are no longer neurotypical. You are now allistic, but your brain changes and ceases to be neurotypical. So... Yeah. No, tell me more. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's the thing about trauma in the brain because mm. it, it causes Oh, wins. that makes sense. It's like if yeah. you have a concussion, yeah. you are no longer you're right, you have a 
brain difference. Yeah, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it changes the way your brain functions. And again, one of the interesting things about complex PTSD is that neurotypicals and holistics have a very, very difficult time telling the difference between CPTSD and autism because so many autistic people experience CPTSD because it's not just one traumatic event in our life, although we might have a big traumatic event in our life. It's a series of trauma, traumatic events of rejection after rejection, big harm, burnout, uh, rejection from burnout, all of this stuff that piles on and piles on and piles on, which is, again, why we don't like functional labels because someone who would be level one as a kid gets hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt and might be level two or three by adulthood, even though somebody says, well, you had so much promise. You're a gifted child. Why are you not a doctor and a lawyer? And all this other stuff because, you know, that's, that's the thing that really, really knocks us down. Yeah. Yeah, and those expectations make it so much harder because of expectation sensitivity of like, this is where I was supposed to be. Everyone told me I had all this promise. Actually, we did get an interesting critique of the Autistic Culture podcast, which I thought was like worth talking about was somebody who um, said, I like your show, but I have to recover from it. It's really Uh, hard for me to recover from because I feel bad that I haven't been able to achieve what Steve Jobs or George Lucas or Tim Burton or, you know, some of the amazing autistics in history that we talk about have achieved. And that's another side of it. You know, what, what I said to him is we're not trying to say you should be like that. We're all different. We're trying to point out, hey, what is part of our culture that we can be proud of? Like, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm, I am not trying to say the good autistics are the ones who have invented stone tools by any means. Yeah. And, and this is a this is a fascinating thing about the autistic way, because we we have a very uneven profile. Uh, by, by the time that you're listening to this, you will have heard the Tim Burton episode where Tim Burton can do really amazing things, but he needs a lot of support from people around him mm. and his relationships have not gone so well. And uh, in an upcoming episode with uh, George Lucas, we're going to talk about how uh, it, it just occurred to me. We're going to do an episode about George Lucas. Okay, so that's good to be know. Cool. Yeah, Writing uh, that, that down. That, that'll be uh, the next uh, recording thing that we do because we'll we'll after our guests because we have some guests coming up. But we'll we'll do that uh, because uh, while he is while he has been able to make an amazing universe, he requires a lot of support from the people who visualize it from. Uh, you know, Carrie Fisher being a script doctor because he's he's not really great about how most people interact w- through conversation. And he's he went through an incredible meltdown and burnout during The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi that ended his marriage. And he, he spent many years as a recluse because he couldn't trust people anymore. Right. And this is a big thing for us because when we do. Well, look at the Kinsey in the Kinsey episode. His whole career was destroyed. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. Steve Jobs, we talk about how he got fired. Like, it's not, there's no either or, and there's not good good autistics and bad autistics. Yeah, we w- when we do something, we do it all the way. And mm. w- when we do our careers all the way, we don't have a lot of energy for healthy relationships. When we do our relationships all the way, we don't have a lot of energy for careers. When we do both, we die early because we don't have enough energy to rest. Hello, burnout. And- We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that L-P-P, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy Matt. 
when we talk about the daily traumas of relationships and that kind of stuff, uh, this is why I'm fascinated by the stars of this because I'm convinced that Tina Fey is autistic. Okay, because, wait, we can't get to oh, Tina Fey yet. Oh, oh, Be well, convinced well, that Steve Martin is autistic. Oh, yes, we're yes. going to talk about Charles. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> when, we, when we come to that, I want to talk about Mean Girls and the trauma and all that kind of stuff because that's okay. so, uh, yes. But uh, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But yes, uh, I'm convinced Steve Martin has been autistic from day one because, again, if you, number one, if you look at his early career with the banjo, and going for the the most obvious pun-filled jokes and the fact that he was an early supporter of the Muppets because, you know, from day one, he was a fan of the Muppets. And that is that is the step of a quality human being if ever I saw one. But, oh, but again, very, very, uh, you know, uh, focused on s- uh, sort of slapstick pun-based humor. Uh, his... His King Tut is a a favorite for my Halloween playlist. Mm-hmm. Very, very historical mm-hmm. and pun-filled. If you look at the jerk, very socially aware and poking fun at a lot of, you know, racist tropes because, again, he, he wanted to make a social statement on that. Uh, it's a movie that I don't think uh, would uh, be met with uh, the same reception today because, again, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, but, but again, he, he did really, really well fighting racism back when it, it happened. And that's everything about his career has been somewhat autistically oriented. And, and I find this, it fascinating. And he is the writer on this with, who's the yes. other guy? Is it Steve Hoffman? Uh, uh, John Hoffman. John uh, Hoffman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you remember Apple versus PC? He was PC. And he yes, did a- Yes, that's yeah, he, right. I love him. on The him. Daily Show. I'm convinced that he's probably autistic too. Yeah. Because, you know, if you look at his accent, his sense of humor, John Hodgman is very, John. very much one of us. But, right. But but that's the thing, you know, they combined to make this and Charles Hayden Savage is clearly his character is undiagnosed autistic. He's in his what, 70s? Uh, uh, late 80s. 60s, maybe? No, yeah. he's yeah. not that old. Uh, and that's one of the recurring jokes that they have that, you know, he's, yeah, but, but yeah, but that's, so, so yeah, he, he had Brazos where he was essentially Columbo back in the day. And uh, he, 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 this was his one claim to fame. He memorized every episode of Brazos that he was on. He memorized all the backstory. He uses a lot of Brazos backstory in his own life because he matched asks so much that in many cases he becomes Brazos again because he scripts and he masks. Right. So I want to talk about scripting and also like you said he memorizes it. My interpretation is like those scripts just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think he like sat down to memorize it like in a what I would say would be like more of a narcissist way. Oh, no, 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 no. Of no. like, I'm going to trick people into thinking that I said these things. It's just the lines are just there and it yeah. kind of merged with who he is. Because like I was saying before, you do one thing all the way. He did his career as Brazos to the nth degree and became Brazos. Be- mm-hmm. and, and this is a thing because he has throughout the series a multitude of failed relationships ranging from the oh that's unfortunate to wow that's really bad and that's the thing he's he is bad at maintaining interpersonal relationships he 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 as a matter of fact, at one point, he comes to the realization that he can't have joy in his life. Uh, pun intended on that. And it's it's very, oh. very interesting to see. That where pun he- was a spoiler alert. You'll get it. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> but that's the thing. He His life is his work. And he's good at his work. He's good at Brazos. He's good at playing this detective character, which is why he's so attracted to Oliver and Mabel in doing this because that's that's where he truly lives in his work as a fake detective. Mm. And that's because again, he can't it's, an, really, it's a big piece of his identity. By the way, he's 78. 78, yeah. You yeah. were totally right. I'm so bad at estimating ages. I had to look it up. Yeah, he, he's he's been, he's been doing stuff for a long time. And so then when he was Brazos, like that identity 
seeped into who he is even long after this show is canceled. So that was an 80s detective show. And Only Murders is set today. So like 40 years, 30, 40 years after the show was canceled, but this is still clearly his identity. Yeah. And his only remaining friends are his stunt double from Brazos, who is a gay woman. Uh, and, you know, that's, that, that, you know, that's a whole Jane thing. Lynch plays this role. Yes. I just can't even, you just watch, just, we won't yeah. get into her character. Watch. So good. Yeah. yeah. She, she's very, and it's fascinating because she, she dresses, because again, she was his stunt double for the entire run of the show. So she dresses exactly like him. She's essentially his conscience who comes in and says, yeah, you need to get out there because again, one time she accidentally stole his girlfriend. So, you know, it's one time or maybe more than a few times. So so she's the one that says, get out there, do the thing, be the adventurous one. Whereas he says, I think I'll just stay in my apartment and make an omelet Mm. because that is his coping mechanism. In fact, in his fridge, Wait, is he the one who has the peppers that yeah, are lined yeah. up by color? Yes, like, so he yes. has like green peppers, red peppers, yellow peppers lined up by color. Obviously, I don't think we need to explain that if you're listening to this show. Yeah. That is the correct way to put your peppers. It away. is, yes. Sold. Uh, yeah. Scripting. He is getting ready to go on a date, and we see him scripting over and over again, and then thinking, I don't have the script down, so maybe I just will cancel my date. Mm-hmm. Um, very, again. Raise your hand if this sounds familiar. Um, And also he can play any instrument, but then like can't do basic math. So classic spiky profile. It was like super high highs, super low lows. What are you laughing about? What are you thinking of? Uh, the White Room. H- have you seen uh, season three? Okay. Well, I won't spoil it for you, but there, there is, again, because he, he was a, a performer, he wants to perform in a particular show, but when he, he tries to memorize this song and this rhythm, he goes off into a place in his brain that the performers call the White Room. And then when he comes out of it, he finds out that there has been massive amounts of chaos that happened uh, during the time and, you know, the audience is left to imagine what happened and they're always super horrified. There's screeching of monkeys somehow. Uh, there's one time where, you know, Oliver Martin short says, I have never heard such profanity. And you now the, the pianist who is playing the music, he's a Christian Charles, go find a priest, pray it out. And it's, it's just, Again, the nth degree, because when he is when he has a meltdown, when he has a shutdown, which he has multiple times throughout the course Mm -hmm. of the show, he crashes and burns in most spectacular fashion. Yeah. And this this is going back to the omelet. The omelet is his way of relating to people. He can't relate without the omelet. And this is a a big plot point, especially for season two. But again, can't go into spoilers. Uh, River Song would kill us. This is a a big thing about, you know, all of this. He's he's so, so autistically presented. And again, when we go with high functioning versus low functioning, he's he's got a very, very nice apartment. He has quite a bit of money saved up. But again, he has a a lack of healthy interpersonal relationships. Right. So like 28 years hasn't been in a relationship for 28 years, has basically been alone doing things in his apartment, but hasn't really been working in his career, hasn't maintained strong relationships. He's just got his routine and he sticks to his routine and that keeps everything calm because we do not like chaos that you know, if we can control the chaos, we will. And Charles it has for 28 years focused on bringing order to his life and now has friends, starts dating again. And that sometimes that is how long a burnout period can last. Yeah. Like his show is over and he's like, I need quiet. I need to like get, get my nervous system regulated And so he makes a bunch of simplify my life decisions. And now this period when the murder happens, suddenly he has best friends. He's in shows. Brazos gets a reboot. He's back on TV. So 
and he starts dating. So I want to talk not just about autistic dating, but specifically, Matt, I want to talk to you about the naivety factor, naivety factor. So he really wants to date. He's super nervous. He really likes someone. And then... That, oh, oh, uh, are there any Office fans in the audience? I'm an Office fan. Because that's that's the thing, because uh, I've, I, 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 the casting on this is so brilliant because their target audience is likely aware of the Office and the relationship between Michael Scott and Holly Flax. Mm-hmm. Because that they're counting on that pre-established dynamic to bring into this show, mm-hmm. because that's that's the fascinating thing about this. Because I, we, again, as soon as uh, Charles, wait, what makes you think of that? I don't. I'm not making the connection. I'm sorry. I'm being dumb. Because Charles's new girlfriend is Holly Flax from The Office. She's the same actress. Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I've watched yeah. The Office and yeah. I watch I'm so, I'm like yeah. completely face blind. Yeah. So yeah. I never recognize actors. It's my least favorite conversation. Yeah. They, they actually made an offhanded comment about The Office prior oh, in the episode before she showed up it. as a little bit of foreshadowing to play. Wait, you're that. talking about Jan? Yeah. No, 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 not Jan. Holly, uh, the 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 nerdy branch manager who uh, like does awkward raps with Michael. And one time Michael Scott is wandering through town because he Wait, was. But I uh, mean, the bassoon player on the bassoon player, Only Murders. Yes. The bassoon uh, oh, player. Yeah, is her name is Jan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah, ironic. yeah. 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 Office reference. But yes. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. She plays Holly Flax. And and that's the thing, because uh, after the because, again, when the office started, uh, they they coded Michael. Michael Scott, very much a neurotypical jerk a la Ricky Gervais. Yes. But once the 40-year-old virgin was successful and the 40-year-old virgin coded uh, Steve Carell as somewhat autistic, mm-hmm. they, they leaned into that for the show. And he became very autistically coded, depend, more or less depending on who's writing and who's directing that day. In like but. a weird masking way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a big thing about the relationship with Michael and Holly Flax is that Holly is very, very autistically coded as well. And they bond well, well with this. So they count on that preconceived relationship that you have uh, as the audience going into this thinking that this is going to be a similar setup because there's a lot of autistic coding in Michael. There's a lot of autistic coding in Charles and there's a lot of autistic coding in uh, the, both the characters that the actress who plays Holly plays, who plays Jan, which is ironic because Michael's other relationship on the office is named Jan, which again, that there's meta awareness at work on this show. Wow, which is I missed n- all of that. Yeah, which is not a thing that uh, a lot of writers go- gear for the meta awareness throughout the series especially season three with you know all the paul rudd stuff oh my god that's this is why i dig the show because it's so much deeper than just a regular show there's layers upon layers there's ogres all over the place and this is the, this is the thing and when you come into this you see charles saying perhaps she gets me for the first time in forever she gets me but she might be masking mm-hmm. and it might be subverting those expectations cannot confirm or deny and i think the the other thing too is like he hasn't had a relationship he really wants this to work so there are a bunch of very big red flags that he ignores and gets taken advantage of and i think getting taken advantage of in dating is a big theme for autistic people yeah, it, it happens to the best of us. Even those of us who trained in psychology, it, it hits us because, again, we are we, we have learned, we have been taught throughout our entire lives that our needs are excessive, that we overthink, that we overfeel, that we are too much. So mm-hmm. we must compromise to fit other people into our lives. And what it came up one time. Uh, that we have a very difficult time distinguishing narcissists from other autistic people yes. because our, our mating dance is essentially the same because autistic people turn other people into special interests where we want to learn everything that there is to know about the other person and we want to write down their interests. We want to write down their history. We want to know everything that there is to know about them because that is our way. Data collection. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. We collect all the data possible so that we can best bond with this person. But narcissists do the same thing for the purposes of control. Right. Narcissists, when narcissists do it, it's called love bombing because they say, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you, so that they later have leverage against you. Mm. We're doing it for the purpose of better understanding. And right. it's to an untrained eye, it's very, very much the same, which is the reason why a lot of us fall for narcissists. Mm-hmm. Or why we are confused with narcissists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, yeah, especially if you're not used to dating an autistic person, this is where the whole Cassandra syndrome comes into play, where they say, oh, yes, it's clearly the autistic person's fault. They're clearly a narcissist, all this other stuff, because they just don't understand that while it may look to an untrained eye very similar, on the insides, the mechanisms are completely different. Totally different. Like our show? Here's how you can help. When you tell someone about this show, it helps make the world a friendlier place for autistic people. And when you rate or review us in your podcast player, it helps people find us. It really matters. And if you're PDA, I totally understand. Uh, uh, you cannot not do this and it will still work out. And speaking of people who could look like narcissists, our friend Oliver... Oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. He's, uh, he's hilarious. So, and it does seem like he just really wants to be famous, but there's much more going on there. Oh, God, yes. Uh, Oliver, uh, one of my special interests is Broadway. And so I got a lot of overlapping. I get more of the subtleties in this one. I pick up more clues, but he is very honest mm -hmm. to the point of potentially people thinking he's rude, which I maybe have that in common with him. And he's also larger than life and um, just like really big presence. And a lot, it throws people off, which I will mm -hmm. say I also have in common with him. He might also be ADHD because he's a little more disorganized, dreamery, more impulsive. I don't know. What do you think about that theory? Well, uh, well, uh, number one, he only eats dip because his his diet is incredibly restricted. Well, listen, dip uh, is the right thing to eat. Crudite yeah. and dip. That's all I need. And uh, you haven't seen season three yet. So uh, I'm like two episodes in. So, 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 so season one is the ensemble cast, a focus, a rotating focus. Season two is largely Mabel focused. Season three is largely Oliver focused. And hopefully season four will be largely Charles focused because again, while they each have their own individual running through lines, it's, it's very much focused on this. And season three is very, very much Broadway focused. And it has a lot of jokes and references in there that I don't get because again, I'm not in to the theater in that way. But I'm sure, based on previous seasons, that there are layers and layers and layers that I am missing. That's but why I figured out, I'm like, oh, I totally get it. It's the thing I'm seeing in season three happen and I just missed it because that those aren't my special interests. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is the thing about season three because when you see Oliver's incredible focus on because again he is largely flighty through the first two seasons because again that's not his jam when it comes to theater oh my god he is in the zone he right. is incredibly he knows everything about everything and he will not be stopped by Matthew Broderick at any cost because Matthew Broderick wants to be in on that and Matthew Broderick is also autistically coded playing Matthew Broderick but it's it's a whole other thing. So good. Uh, yeah, I would say hyper focus and then uh, executive function are yeah. some of the themes with Oliver. And, and I also because, eat hors d'oeuvres oh for every meal. I believe yeah. hors d'oeuvres are the right thing. He never cooks. I never cook. I feel that deeply. And then there is so much love. Yeah. Like he like you could just talking about that confusion with narcissism, like you could think he's in it for himself. Like I can see how somebody from the outside can interpret it, but he is loyal, he is upbeat, he is generous, and he is really doing it for other people. His storyline with his son in particular. Oh God. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Mm. 
but yeah, yes, he, I love his son. Yeah, he 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 is a deeply, deeply, deeply loving father. And anyone who would confuse him with a narcissist, he he's very loving. Even with Charles and Mabel, he has a difficult time, you know, being appropriate, but. Yeah, uh, uh, appropriate with you know the, uh, the 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 quotation marks because he is incredibly bluntly honest with Charles and Mabel, uh, but again he cares deeply for them. He wants what is for the best. He is incredibly loving with his his son, even with his arch rival uh, uh, Nathan. Oh God, Nathan Lane, Teddy Demas. Lane, yes, yeah, uh, Timon. <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah. Again, theater, all that. Yeah, even with his arch rival, he's he's still incredibly caring and loving, and that's it's it's fascinating about that because uh, when you get to the whole Meryl Streep uh, stuff, oh my god. He, okay, so again, Meryl Streep's hyper focus on theater. Oh my God, with, with wanting what is best for her family, that whole subplot that gets in there, that's heartbreaking. And mm. that's the thing about the show. It All of these people on the surface may seem like jerks because of their hyper-focus, but they have this deep, deep, deep love for the people that they care about. Yes. And that is the thing to look for if you are having trouble spotting the difference. Yeah. Um, the and even Paul Rudd. Oh, my God. Oh, Paul Rudd. Uh, be- oh, be- <laughs> oh okay. Paul Rudd. I can't so, oh, so much. So, okay, so uh, these three that we focus on, Charles, Oliver, and Mabel, they the underlying current of solving a murder means that we are throughout the show doing armchair detective work. So that means there's lots of attention attention to detail, lots of logic. Um, you even see the the who done it murder boards. Uh, I love as, a murder board. I love a murder board. Yes, um, pattern recognition is one of the themes. Hyperfixation. We've talked about that um and uh there is also another part of autistic culture which is one of my favorites super fans oh yeah <laughs> so the podcast gets popular and they there are a bunch of fans that start following the podcast speculating about it developing reddit channels actually camping out in front of the building something i have done for groups that i super fan over and the show does a great job of paying tribute to the autistic culture tradition of super fanning about things we love they even get the super fans involved in oh, yes. solving the murders, which is basically, I think you will confirm, a super fan dream come true. Make us this a part of it. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, they all have that data collection. They've all been listening from day one and put together the clues. And they, they all have these, these theories ranging from the, they nailed it, to, wow, I didn't know Bigfoot was involved. That's right. Infer- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Live so monster. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As always, this podcast is free and it will remain free, but we do now have a paid subscription over on our Substack page, which we wanted to tell you about. It includes lots of extras like private Q&A calls with Matt and I, our book club with our favorite book picks and discounts in our Tee Public store. You can check out all the goodies over on our Substack page at autisticculture.substack.com. It, it's one of those things, and it's uh, it's it's fascinating to watch all this, and fascinating because they really, really get this. In no way are the fans, you know, disrespected and played solely for laughs or played as these no, obsessive. No, right? Yeah. Like the way that you think of like Star Trek's fans being made fun of, not by Star Trek people, but by the outside world. What I love about the respect autistic culture gets in this show is like. Oliver recognizes the only way we could solve this murder is to bring the super fans in. Yes. He's like, they are weird, autistic, not weird. But he's like, 
I get it. They're creepy. They follow us around. They're taking pictures of us. They talk too much. They send too many emails. Like, I get your concerns about our super fans, but no one knows this murder better than us. No one knows the facts better than us. No one has more spreadsheets or murder boards than us. If we want to solve this thing, we should tap into our super fans. That for me was orgasmic. I'm like, that is all I want as a super fan. Can you please respect that I know the names of every producer and sound mixer for every one of the recordings of every one of your albums? And could you just like tap into me and be like, hey, who is the sound mixer on this song? I would be happy to tell you where you were when you recorded it. I probably even know what you were wearing when you recorded it. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Happy to provide. (laughs) So I love, because I feel like I am often like made fun of for that. Somebody uh, that I saw on Facebook the other day was saying I have so, uh, who is she? She's super fanning about Timothy Chalamet. And she's like, but I'm so embarrassed. She's like, I've read everything about Timothy Chalamet. Like, I want to talk about him all day long, but I'm so mortified. Like, I'm a 40-year-old woman. Why am I obsessed with Timothy Chalamet? And I have so much shame about my super fanning, except for now I made a podcast, so I'm overcoming my shame. But like... I love that they get the value that the super fans bring. I felt finally seen and vindicated yes, for absolutely. my super fanning. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really, really get it because they, the people who do this show understand autistic culture, even if, well, I mean, it's not that they don't outright say it because again, they, they say it for Tim Kono and they, they, they heavily lean into it with Charles, but you know, there's so much more to all of these characters in autistic culture than just the two that have been roughly diagnosed. Right. Okay. So then we have Howard. I have a, I have two more characters I want to talk about. We're going to talk about (laughs) Tina Fey's character just to end it. But before we do, I want to talk about Howard. Howard Howard is wonderful. Howard is wonderful. And Howard loves cats. So I got a special request to do a cats are autistic episode, which I feel like may need to happen. If you would like a cats are autistic episode, find me and comment, uh, come to Substack and comment on this. If you would like that episode. Um, but yes, so Howard, he loves his cat. He, he loves his cats. He loves theater. He loves music. And he has an uncanny ability to piece together shredded evidence. Uh, and the, the, he, he has a number of, I mean, he's got a number of good moments in the first two seasons, but the season three, he becomes an integral part of the team for his ability, his pattern recognition skills. Right. And, uh, but, but yeah, he does love cats. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh God, I want to say so much about it, but I can't. Um, okay. You're like, yeah, and you, you I, your thing. Yeah. and I, uh, I wanted to also bring up, cause I think lots of autistic people have this. He faints at the sight of blood. He does. Yes. Which is neurocartogenic <laughs> sin scope. And yeah, yeah. many autistic people have this, which I did not know, but I, me yeah. too. Cause no I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. What, 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 oh. Yeah, I, I, I love finding out new weird stuff about us because, again, you know, with we, we've got a weird, a lot of weird cardiovascular stuff going on, especially with POTS and mm-hmm. EDS. And, you know, that's uh, this is a, a stress reaction. So, yeah. Okay. So, last but not least, we're going to, and there's so much more to talk about with this show. Um, I want yeah, you guys could, to all watch it and comment. But we, uh, <laughs> we so, and like I didn't mention. friendly episodes so we right? can get into the nitty gritty. I didn't mention uh, Sting makes a, a very neurotypical appearance. Amy Schumer makes oh, yes. a very neurotypical-ish appearance. Maybe. Especially since her husband is autistic in real life. And she's she's been very outspoken about that. But yes. Yes, it is on fucking point. Uh, they're, they're the person who is one of the murders, not the, one of the many murders. Anyway, there's so much more to this, but Tina Fey is kind of at the heart and soul of this. Her character, um, has a $30 million deal to do a podcast, uh, about a murder, 
which mm-hmm. is set in Oklahoma. At All is not okay in Oklahoma or yeah, something yeah. is the name of it. And um, she's got a very different, she's not doing her podcast so much out of the personal need to solve this murder because she's in this building, but it's a job for her. And there's a little bit of a toxic boss, mean girl situation happening over there. So let's talk about a little bit of the shadow side of autistic characters on Only Murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, she, she, okay, so, uh, uh, you know, background on Tina Fey, she wrote Bossy Pants and Mean Girls. And uh, Mean Girls largely uh, associated with Bossy Pants because again, she has been called a number of things in her life because of the her incredible approach to things. And uh, again, uh, when, when, there, there are, as we've discussed with like Steve Jobs and pro- probably uh, oh, uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, and that kind of stuff, this incredible all-driving approach to Walt Disney to, to uh, doing the things that we do, there are some people who will be emotionally destroyed uh, at times if someone is not aware. And this is one of those things because she... She has a very, very autistic presentation. Mean Girls is very, very much about how how neurotypical social hierarchy works for females, especially when you're uh, not included. But she is, Poppy is very, is it Poppy? Or am I yeah, confused? Poppy is her yeah. is her assistant. Because right? I want to do an episode on uh, Mythic Quest later on too. Because oh, Quest, I love Mythic Quest. Po- yeah, because so Poppy is explicitly much. autistic, so we may have to do an episode. Yeah. Well, I want to wait until Rob McElhenney's uh, podcast comes out because he's supposed to be coming out as autistic. But but anyway, we'll we'll come to that. But anyway, okay. uh, yeah. So so yeah, uh, Poppy is very autistically coded, but at the same t- other developments happen so yeah 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 she uh, tina fey wants to be the best she wants to have this on top but but again she's also driven to do what is right especially at the end of season two so uh how how you you do it because i don't know how to do this without spoilers Uh, uh, yes well anyway tina fey what i would say is creates a very toxic work environment in the way that I would talk about with Steve Jobs um, as another example. And I don't know if we're going to do an episode on Elon Musk because I don't know if my heart can handle it. It took me like two months to recover from our Temple Grandin episode. But if I ever have enough energy to do a Temple, the Trouble with Temple episode, we will do a The Trouble with Elon episode. But I will I, I would have to buy a hazmat costume yeah, uh, before exactly. we do that because, oh, my God. But looking at – because, look, no culture is perfect. I can tell you the toxic things about Italian-American culture. Yeah. I am sure that, you know, anyone with the cultures they're in can tell you the crappy things. And I would say a big part of our culture can be we're so hyper-focused, we're so driven – we're so goal-oriented that we don't see or consider other people's needs. And yeah. this often will be confused with um, fucking stupid-ass theory of mind. Yeah, You don't have mirror neurons bullshit from that Baron Cohen, Simon Baron Cohen, who should jump off a cliff in my opinion. But yeah. uh, I don't think it's that. For me, it's monotropic hyper-focus. Yeah. Um, and... If you can slow me down and get me to pay attention, which is why I think at the end there's a twist. So like you see Tina Fey's character creating this toxic work environment. It's the shit you heard with the Elon. What was he doing? He's like, everybody has to be hardcore. You have to work 24 hours a day. You have to live in the Twitter building when we've canceled the janitorial stuff. Yeah, you have to live in the Twitter building. Like... I have to say, I get that. I'm not an Elon apologist, but I get that. And Tina Fey is driving her team hard and they misinterpret her. In my opinion, they misinterpret her. And she's like, we got $30 million from another human. We have a responsibility to make a good podcast. And yeah, you should come in early and leave late. 
Yeah. And so I get it because I have this in me. And then sometimes it happens at the expense of other people's mental health. And they just think you're a bossy pants or a mean girl or a bitch. And you can find reviews of me on Glassdoor where they'll tell you what a slave driver I am and how terrible I am as a boss. I'm sure they're out there. When we're excited and when we're in hyper focus, it is very hard to pull back from that without a community around us. One of the things I've really focused on is surrounding myself with team members who know how to support me so that I do not drive everyone into the ground inappropriately because I don't want to. That's not who I am. So at the end, the twist with Tina Fey's character is she helps solve the mystery. doesn't exactly help solve, but participates in the solving of the mystery in a very beneficent way that I think shows more sides of her. Most people are not just bitches. Most people are not just mean girls. And that's the thing about season three, because she becomes an actual caring mentor to Mabel. And Mm. uh, because it's a very, very different dynamic than she had with Poppy. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's a very... Yeah. uh, And and that's the thing, because, again, doing something to the best of your ability. And she she has a lot of advice on uh, on how especially a a woman can succeed in this world, because there's, again, especially autistic women are criticized heavily for such drive autistic women are because again it's it's very very uh, expected socially that women be the relationship glue that women be Mm -hmm. uh, warm and fuzzy and cuddly and all this kind of stuff and neglect their own needs in favor of literally everyone around them and when a person doesn't do that uh, not only is it unexpected but highly criticized and this is a big thing that she explains to mabel that you know uh, in order to you know take care of your own needs uh you will be criticized for this Mm -hmm. i love that i love this like so many sides because i think the way that mabel um the way that mabel has masked Uh, And the way that a lot of autistic women, like if you read traits of autistic women, what's different is they will often be quiet or unassuming or they'll hide. And that wasn't me. I didn't see myself in that. I always saw myself in like the um, uh, the devil wears Prada or Maggie Thatcher or like I was just like, why is it always these just like one dimensional characters that are autistic women. And I'm like, I love seeing kind of that she is a much deeper character. So if you watch Only Murders and you maybe find yourself not liking Cinda, Cinda Canning, Cindy Canning, Cindy Canning, uh, stay tuned. There is more, you will love Tina Fey's portrayal uh, and there is more to it. So there are layers. That We could go on and on forever. We've only touched the surface. And I said this would be a short episode and it is not a short episode. So you have to give me a really fast, what is something you love about being autistic this week? Uh, oh, uh, well, I really love that we, uh, given the time differential between when this uh, is recorded and when this airs, uh, I, I really look forward to that whole uh, thing that we either are getting ready to do or just did with autistic culture, uh, that uh, AANE uh, uh, conference. So oh, I'm yes. very, very hyped about that. So Absolutely. And I suspect you guys that the recordings will be available. We will put them in the show notes, but Matt and I are are doing a live broadcast from the Association for Autism and Neurodiversity, their fall 2023 event. The theme of the event is autistic culture. And they invited us to live podcast from their event. So we're going to do that. We'll get you guys the recording. And if there are recordings of the event itself, we'll make sure you have links to that as well. I think it's going to be a great event. There's some awesome speakers. So that's a good one. All right, Matt, we'll see you next time. Thanks for talking only murders with me. Uh, thanks. Uh, I, I, I hope that you get through season three and uh, at some point, 
after the series run is finished, I want to do a full spoilers uh, version. And so we're going to do so part two with spoilers, but after season four comes out. So exactly. Um, or maybe after the whole series finishes. Uh, do you love only murders? Who's your favorite character? Get, do you love cats? That's always a good one. Give us your comments. Go to Substack. When you go to autisticculture.substack.com, if you are not subscribed, and subscribing is totally free, there are options to support the show. Matt and I love you 100% equally, whether you donate or not. So do not feel pressured. You will see an option to either put your email address in or there's a button that says skip and see inside. You are not required to give us your email address. You are not required to give us any money. We want you to love this show. We make this as a labor of love for you. And we would love your comments. So please like, share, subscribe, comment, and uh, join us for a discussion over on our Substack page. Join us there. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in licensed psychological practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Special thanks to our content manager, River Robbins, and Aaron Stoner, our producer for making us look and sound good. Thank you.